You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole. Uh, I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, the brilliantly talented voiceover actress. Yes, that's right. She's moved up in the world, Christy Morris. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I uh, I try my best when I come in here, and I do have my voices. Well, you know, you you did that one voiceover gig, and and now I, I mean, I I've got to give it to you. So, um. Uh, no, well, thank you. Uh, we're, that was really fun though, that your friend asked you to do that. Yeah. It, so, you know, I, I think it's, uh, exciting to get to try something new. I, uh, so if anybody wants to also check out geek stuff, TNG, my friend, big Kev over there asked me to do some voiceover stuff. So it was fun. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, uh, you know, we love, uh, supporting the things that we do outside this show. Cause obviously we both do a lot outside this show. So it is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, we got to go back to the theater this week, something that we're going to talk about here. But before we do that, uh, Christy, we did get a brand new review over there on the old Apple podcast. It gave us five stars. It said the best. This is from masking problem. Uh, And it said, I originally came to this podcast for the Star Wars, but it quickly hooked me on so many other fandoms. Y'all are the best. Well, hot diggity dog. Gee, thank you. Yeah. I mean, mean, gee willikers. (laughs) I don't know why I'm using all these. You can't get any better than the best. Seriously. Seriously. So, no, I'm super excited. Uh, I really appreciate, you know, that people still do that for the show. I mean, this show has been around for like, a long time now. Uh, I think 2012 is when we started. So it's been quite a while and, and appreciate all the people here with us on this journey uh, through all of the fandoms that we love. And so you can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, if you happen to be there. Uh, it's still the best place to help the show grow where you give us a star rating review. Uh, we read those out on the show regardless of what they say. So please do that. You can find us on Twitter, which we hope you're following us there at the 602 Club, which we're still, uh, because um, it has been very hard to get a copy of the new uh, Batman v Superman remastered edition, we're still running the contest. So just keep following us over there, and you'll be entered, and we will draw a winner once they come back in stock, and we can get them out to somebody. You can also find us on Instagram. Uh, if you're not following us on Instagram, go over there at the 602 Club TFM. And then, of course, you could find us um, online at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. The Babel Conference is where people go on Facebook, listeners all over the world to talk about all of their favorite shows here happening on TFM. And then, of course, if you wanted to send us an email, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. Christy and I will get that email. We could talk to you that way. So, Christy... Um, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, this is the first time that we've both been back in the theater to see a brand new movie, uh, and so I just kind of wanted to ask you what the experience was like going back to the movies, because I know it's been even longer for you than it has been for me. 
It was actually incredible in a good way. My husband and I went together on Sunday afternoon, and it was crazy. For one, there was hardly anybody there. I thought that with theaters reopening, everyone would be rushing to go back to the theater all at once, but it wasn't like that at all. And even for the standard showing, they had us do reserved seating this time. So that was actually kind of nice. So we got great seats. There was hardly anyone in the theater with us. It was like, like us and four people and uh, watched an awesome movie. So that is really cool. Um, I, I, I'm glad that you had a great time and, and enjoyed going back. You know, uh, here, you know, theaters that opened up a little bit last year and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of times. And so I'd been uh, to the theater uh, at that point, but you know, obviously it took a while for them to open back up again. And so, yeah, it's been great to be going back and, uh, seeing movies in the theater. And, uh, you know, all in all, this is the type of movie we're talking about, you know, Godzilla versus Kong and, and seeing it on the biggest screen possible is, is I think the best way to go. Cause I've seen it at the theater and I've also, I saw it, um, through HBO Max at home just cause I was wanting to rewatch it. Uh, before uh, we talked about the movie, and I just did not have time to go back to the theater. I was kind of watching it in bits and pieces when I had a chance. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, mm-hmm. I say the better experience was seeing this on the big screen as you know, massive monsters battle each other. Uh, you know, oh yeah, it's so much better the bigger it is. So, um, bigger is better. So, <laughs> yeah, that's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> So I was really interested because, you know, this we, we've talked about all of these kind of like monsterverse movies and how they've all been connecting with, you know, Godzilla. And then, of course, we had Kong Skull Island and then Godzilla mm-hmm. King of Monsters and now Godzilla versus Kong. And I thought, you know, following the previous film, this one did a very good job of picking up on a lot of little pieces from all of that to get us to this point where these two titan heroes um, now face off against each other. Yes, I'm totally with you on that, too. I think that uh, the little nuances that called back to Kong Skull Island for sure stood out to me with uh, the skull crawlers coming Mm -hmm. back. Um, even just the straight up mentions of Skull Island and how his habitat is technically there, but just an enclosure on the island. Um, and then too, you know, the callbacks to Godzilla King of Monsters and having the same look for Godzilla, because, you know, if you've seen a lot of the previous Godzilla movies, the look of Godzilla himself was very inconsistent until recently. Um, and then to having the atomic breath coming back, which is such a cool thing and, and showing where that even comes from. So, yeah, I think that it was neat that they had these tie-ins to show that it's all one universe. And it's nice to see them in such high quality because for me, I don't know about you, Matt, but my husband is owns almost every monster movie out there of all of the kaiju films. So, you know, Mothra, Godzilla... Um, King Ghidorah with the three heads. Um, so I've seen them when the quality wasn't this good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know Michael is a huge fan. And so that is really fun um, that, you know, you guys got to go you know to the theater to see this together. And, you know, I'm with you. I mean, I just the, all the things you were mentioning about how this connects, you know, obviously to one of the things that was really interesting. I wish they kind of made 
uh, more of, but like, you know, Sarazawa's son is the one who is kind of remote controlling Mechagodzilla. Um, you know, the fact yeah. that they call back, of course, to the very end credit sequence of uh, Godzilla King of Monsters by the fact that they were buying Mechagodzilla's head, one of his heads, you know, and of course leading straight into this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the whole Hollow Earth thing, you know, that we kind of heard a lot about obviously in uh kong skull island as well as godzilla king of monsters is all here as well so you know i i think one of the things that's been really interesting to me to see is how these films have really been building this monster universe and it's it's funny to me that they've been able to do this with the monster uh verse where they haven't been able to do this with uh, the the other MonsterVerse that they've tried to get started um, and, as the other franchise with, like, you know, the Hollow Man and um, those type of films where, you know, they just have never been able to bring those characters together like Frankenstein and the rest. But here, they I mean, people have been responding to, you know, these, these monster movies uh, in this franchise, and I, I think... You know, um, it's interesting you mentioned there weren't a ton of people in the theater. Um, when I went to see it, it was in the middle of the afternoon on Saturday, so it wasn't as packed as it could be. Um, but, mm-hmm. I mean, the numbers don't lie. This is the biggest movie uh, since COVID hit. Like, you know, this has been the movie that people have really responded to. And, uh, you know, I, I think the the best part about this movie and they hit just right at the time. It's like, you know, this is a movie that you can bring, you know, any teenager to, you know, even mm-hmm. like 10 years old and up could probably handle this movie. It, it's, it's just such a silly film really, you know, and it's just big monsters mm-hmm. battling each other. And so, um, so I really think they've hit a sweet spot with that, you know, just where we are. And it's, it's the perfect time to watch big monsters like, kill each other or battle each other you know so um so you'd say it's a perfect family friendly movie (laughs) yeah for the most part i mean honestly it's not something i would take your youngest kids to see because it is really Mm -hmm. big and loud and so oh yeah i think that might be too much but you know i would guess that any kid that's over 10 would probably just get a kick out of this right you know so for the most part yeah i mean i've seen I remember going to see, and this doesn't have anything to do, I remember going to see The History of Violence, and there was like a 12-year-old sitting in front of us, and I could not believe some parents were that terrible parents to bring a kid to that R-rated of a film. Like, that's about as R-rated mm-hmm. as it gets. So, um, yeah, this mm. is yeah, this is pretty safe for, for most most families. So, um, I, I was struck in the movie... And I think, you know, Godzilla King of Monsters really showed this. And this movie, I think, just picks up and runs with this idea of, like, human stupidity. And, gosh, Mm -hmm. does this movie just continue to show how dumb our species can be in our arrogance and our pride. Of thinking that we're always going to be the apex predator. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was just... The desire to be the one in power and or the top dog and the amount of people that get killed because of Walter Simmons and his desire for this to happen are, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, how many people probably die in this film? 
Yeah, I mean, it, in the millions, I'm guessing, because multiple cities are attacked in places like Hong Kong, where it's already a dense area anyway. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I will say, just because it's a monster movie, and we can argue these funny sides to the argument, um, part of it is not necessarily only his fault, because Godzilla got upset about being upstaged and attacked. So that's just Godzilla's hubris. He needs to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Simmer down, monster. <laughs> yeah, simmer down. Right. <laughs> but no, I do agree, definitely. There's always this theme of, uh, it's funny that you brought up Frankenstein earlier, um, of the guy with the crazy idea that creates this monster that then overpowers him. And, mm-hmm. you know, he he thinks that he's going to one up Godzilla when it's like Godzilla has been here so far long before the rest of you and he's going to continue to be. So mm-hmm. how could you possibly have an idea that's going to outsmart him? You know, it, it it's such an interesting thing because it it's fascinating to kind of see like this, this hubris, right, uh, of humanity mm-hmm. to think that um, that we can take on something so much bigger than ourselves, you know. And 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 in many ways, of course, this is uh, I think we've seen many a times, which is this the god complex playing out, you know, that humanity has, yeah. and um, it's I I. I was thinking about this, especially in my second watch, which was this company has the ability to have a transit system that runs underneath the earth from Pensacola, Florida, all the way to Hong Kong, right? Mm -hmm. And the amount of things that they're creating, like they have a, a, that engine for their, craft that can go to the hollow earth it it can run a city like like they say uh las vegas for a week right so we're Mm -hmm. we've got all of this incredible technology that is being poured into such like evil selfish desires instead of like making humanity a better like m- making sure that people are fed around the planet, you know, like our goal is to one up Godzilla instead of making sure that everybody's not going hungry, you know, mm-hmm. like um, maybe uh, maybe finding uh, better power sources so that there isn't so much pollution, like mm-hmm. all of those things are we're uh, it just brought to mind of of how many times we as as humans waste the technology we create on the most stupid of things. I mean, I hate to get all like super anti-tech, but it's like, it's the same thing with, we spend billions of dollars on research to upgrade our cell phones um, that basically just take better pictures instead of finding Mm -hmm. ways to make technologies that actually will help ease suffering that will uh, end world hunger. Like, it's just insane to me. Um, and this movie puts that on display. Yes, it's big and it's stupid. 
but I think it puts it on display in a way that we can truly see just how dumb it is. And I really appreciate yeah. that about this movie. I, you know, you wouldn't think of, of there being, you know, lots of good things, but this desire for control, this desire for power, this desire for all those things, man, um, put, put our resources to better use. That's a good point. That's something that I didn't pick up immediately upon watching it. And so I'm glad that you brought that up. And it, you know, I will say in kind of a funny way, the way that I used to think of this as a kid was, man, every time I can't finish my dinner, I wish I could send my leftovers to someone that needs it. Why don't we Mm -hmm. use our resources to figure out something like that? Not that people deserve leftovers. I'm just saying, you know, let's stop wasting so much. And like you said, find a better way to use technology than than just for selfish means. Mm Yeah, I mean, you know, and we've talked about it many times on this show, and I, I think, you know, it, it really comes comes down to it. I think Interstellar really puts it the best, you know, um, when uh, you've got Matthew McConaughey's character talking about the this fact of that, you know, we used to look up at the stars, you know, but now we're just here digging in the dirt. And that mm-hmm. our gaze is just, we're navel-gazing people. And and that creates this desire for technologies and the use of technology that only has this very limited personal focus. Um, and it, in the end, it doesn't really truly make our lives all that much better, you know? Um, right. And billions of dollars are getting wasted for, for no good reason, you know? Um, everybody that has a cell phone right now literally doesn't need another cell phone, you know. Um, uh, the one I have right now is a fantastic thing, and it'll la- it could last years, right? If, if, mm-hmm. but no, we'll, you know, be part of the rat race and get told we have to upgrade it because it's the next biggest thing that's truly going to change our lives, and literally, it's not going to do anything. And this is this is what we see them, you know, doing with this this technology, you know. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, it is one of those things that's a conceit of this movie, too, of just, like, how grandiose the technology is here. Um, and I love that the movie doesn't really do anything to explain all that or anything. It just is. And I think the movie is kind of better for that, that you just you come into the movie and this is what it is. And I don't need to explain why we have all this type of technology. We just do. You know, it's. If mm-hmm. we can have massive titans, we've figured out how to have, you know, like, sweet hovercraft. And that you can flip a switch on the hovercraft and jumpstart Kong's heart. Yes, which, I mean, also dub- doubles as a titan defibrillator, so, uh, right. which is really important, <laughs> obviously. It's so handy. It is so handy. Um, well, so <laughs> I thought was really interesting, too, you know, we have in this movie, um, we have uh, Bernie Hayes, uh, the character played by Brian Terry Henry. Um, and what fascinated me about this was this whole idea of conspiracies. Because in our mm-hmm. world, just legitimately conspiracies have taken over um, any side of the aisle. And I thought it was really fascinating to me for this movie to see that the conspiracy theories are right. Yeah, that 
that he ends up being the predictor of everything that's going on. Um, I think that it's really a cool way to go rather than the way that you see a lot of times is just that the conspiracy theorist is the crazy person and nothing that they say ever comes true. Um, I think that they want to also give some justification to he's been through a lot personally with losing his wife and, um, then, you know, working at this company that he doesn't necessarily love. And so he's kind of already suspicious of. Um, but I, I like that they then bring um, Madison or Millie Bobby Brown's character in on it. And it, that it's sort of that childlike innocence, I guess I would call it, that Bernie still has, that then he and she are able to bond over. You know, because she still hasn't seen a lot of the world. She's still very young. Um, but she's immediately, you know, leveling with him and saying, no, 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 I'm with you. And he's, you know, like uh, asking her if she drinks tap water or not. And she's like, yeah. oh, never. <laughs> what was kind of interesting to see is that the movie seems to be saying that it's the people who can't see it are the ones that are kind of wrapped up in the BS of this world. You know, they're wrapped up in kind yeah. of the uh, bureaucratic BS, you know, really. Um, and and or like I think of it was really interesting that because I, I Kyle Chandler's in this movie for like five seconds and as her dad. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he talks about w the fact that the reason he doesn't believe that this is something other than Kong changing um, is because, you know, beings can change you know and i was thinking back okay, why why how does that relate and then i was thinking well that's interesting callback to the 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 you know godzilla king of monsters where his wife had kind of gone insane a little bit you know i mean she's the one who kicked all of that mess off in the first place and then kind of comes to her senses as she realizes what she's doing is insane you know um and mm -hmm. So in many ways, it, it he was putting on Godzilla what he had seen happen with his wife, right? That a being can just change, you know, and and might and not mm -hmm. really have a great reason for doing something. Whereas, you know, we do see Godzilla having a very good reason for doing something because underneath all the corporate BS of this company is what they're really doing, which is trying to usurp you know, the Titans as the top dog again. Right. Yeah. And so it's cool to actually see them then going and figuring that out. And I like that, you know, it, it seems kind of silly at the time, but that Millie Bobby Brown's character is very much saying, I'm not saying Godzilla is good or bad. I'm just saying that clearly there was a reason that maybe the conspiracy could be true because the pattern shows that he wouldn't just come out of hiding mm -hmm. and attack for no reason. So yeah, I'm glad yeah. that they played it like yeah. that. Like there's actual data to back it up. I, I mean, I it, it's strange. I'm going to even say this, but it could go to even a more spiritual level as us as human beings, not necessarily understanding why God does something, you know, but that doesn't mean there isn't a reason yeah. for it to be until it becomes clear later on. Right. And that's kind of how it is in this mm -hmm. movie until we have all the facts. Um, it doesn't play out in our brains until that happens, because, 
you know, we're we're not God. And in the same way in this movie, right? We're not Titans. And so there's a lot of things going on because of who these creatures are and their their way of being able to read threats in a way that we don't uh, to themselves and to the planet, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that we can't understand their logic until, um, you know, we see all of the evidence for ourselves, right? Until it's all kind mm-hmm. of spilled out. Uh, for us and laid out. That's a really, that's a really interesting thing to be saying in this movie. Like, I didn't, I just thought of that. And it's like, that's super deep. And to even, to even go more into that, I just thought of something else. I love that we're like mad scientists now. We're like, oh my God, what if, um, but you remember when they're talking about how Kong would probably go once they direct him the right way to the hollow earth space because it, he's kind of like, a homing pigeon where they have this innate sense of where home is or where they're from, even if they've never physically been there, their ancestors were. So somehow they know it's sort of saying too that humanity needs to remember that, mm. that there's something mm-hmm. bigger than itself. Mm. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. I just, uh, no, I mean, gosh, you that. could even bring it all the way to saying, like, we all long to be in the Garden of Eden, and we're always trying to get back there, and we can't find our yes. way back there. Yeah, so yeah, you get super deep with this. <laughs> no, that's so great. I love it. Um, that's, I mean, it's seriously my favorite thing about, you know, thinking about a movie and just kind of, what is the film trying to say? And I have no idea if, if that's exactly what, uh, you know, the director has in mind here at all. But it it's interesting that, you know, the thematic elements of the film, some of that has to be there. You know, someone has to have thought about mm-hmm. this in that way, because those things are actually I mean, it, it, it you know, I don't know, maybe I, I would love to ask Adam Wingard if, if he was thinking that seriously about, you know, Godzilla versus Kong. But so. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the fact of of Kong, you know, going to the Hollow Earth, and we finally go there, which is really cool. And so I wanted to ask you about that, because, you know, once we get there and we kind of get inside that temple, basically, to I, I was really fascinated. Like, this is, there seems to have been like an ancient Kong civilization that had created this place, that had built this place, and it really kind of left me wondering, you know, we allude to the fact that Kong is really smart. And we're just now seeing that because somebody is finally reaching out and connecting with him. I mean, when we found him on Kong Skull Island, all of his family had been dead, you know, and mm-hmm. he'd been alone for a long, who knows how long. And so... I, I what did you think about that? Because to me, this opened up a lot, a lot of interesting doors. I thought it was really cool. I think that 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 whole time, I don't know about you, but I was on the edge of my seat because this is so different. I mean, obviously, the whole time we're usually on a regular old Earth, um, but even though we have these crazy monsters, then getting to see a completely different landscape. And I love that the way that they had it where you're coming through the Earth's crust down into the center and then landing on ground where there's actually two opposing grounds facing each other yeah. with this anti-gravity in between. 
So I, I loved that. Um, but yes, uh, the temple too, and him finding another like giant gorilla Titan skull there with this old axe um, or tomahawk or whatever you want to call it that can charge up from that life force. Um, I love the connection of all of that together and then how that connects him to Godzilla. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I like to, to think of it as like the Kong Excalibur, you know, like that. Yeah. The, the Kongs of the past had built these weapons that were taken from, you know, fallen kaiju, you know, the, the fallen mm-hmm. Godzillas and created, uh, to harness this atomic energy, basically, that would allow the Kongs to, to be a threat to them, you know, and part of that is because I, I think it was interesting because this movie seemed to be saying that if given the chance to have a community, the Kong species would become more intelligent again. And because mm-hmm. uh, clearly an intelligence built that temple. You can't build something yes. like that without being super intelligent. So it 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 harkened back to this idea of like the idea that we become less intelligent, the less withdrawn from community we are. And when we're just kind of cloistered in our own little bubble, um, we actually become dumber, you know, because we need people to bounce mm-hmm. ideas off of. We need to be sharpened by one another to grow and to mature and, and, and to, and, uh, you know, to bounce ideas off of so that, you know, if it's false, we can be told that, you know, and all these type of things. And so mm-hmm. I was really fascinated by that thematic element as well. And, Seeing the fact that Kong is a much smarter being than even the one we saw in Kong Skull Island, because what has he begun to do? He's begun to communicate with that this little girl. You know, um, he's begun to communicate with Gia, and mm-hmm. it's in that connection, it's in that communication that his intelligence is being reawoken, and his yep. base instincts are. Um, becoming subservient to intelligence and i I, Mm -hmm. you know to me i feel like there's a lot being said there about how we as human beings we have a base instinct that must be curbed by learning by understanding by um being taught uh you know because our base instincts aren't great and i think what we kind of see is our base instincts are basically Walter Simmons, which is we just want to be top dog. That's mm-hmm. the that's the primordial, you know, um, instinct or is, primal. Yeah, the primal instinct is just to be number one. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. community and uh, knowledge and learning and wisdom teach us that there's something more than that. There's something better than that. Mm-hmm. So, I, really, I mean, just again, the fact that we're kind of having that kind of discussion. And and what I feel like that whole area was kind of showing us was was really cool. Oh, and and that you're hitting the nail on the head for sure. That sociology is so important because there's actual data in real life uh, that you can see showing that human connection when people don't have that and aren't 
you know, at least somewhat educated and, um, you know, socialized with other human beings, you can become much more regressive to those primal instincts. And that you can, you know, come across like a more wild, like an animal rather than human. And so they're definitely showing that it's like even in this movie, humanity has regressed to those animal instincts. And Kong has actually progressed to being more intelligent. Um, and, and I did love, I'm glad that you mentioned that with the little girl, Gia, because I'm sure you probably know as well, but maybe some people that saw this didn't know, gorillas can actually learn human sign language. Yep. And so I was, I was thrilled that they threw that in here because they didn't have to, but that's something real that would be able to be done mm-hmm. by a being like Kong. So, yeah, no, I love that too. <laughs> Obviously they make the joke in, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League, you know, about where he's talking about Flash is talking about his skills, you know, and he's like, mm-hmm. uh, sign language, uh, gorilla sign language, you know, which is a, uh, a funny, um, link to his gorilla grod, uh, confrontations. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, absolutely right. And I think, you know, for me, when I think about the human characters in this film, you know, I, We'll talk about through through some of them here, but I think Gia was the best part of this. One, I love the fact that she's deaf. Um, you know, she comes from the native people who lived on this island who were destroyed during the storm that's kind of taken over Skull Island and um, mm-hmm. has made it very difficult for you know, even Kong to live on there because they had to create this uh, containment facility, so it's more like his normal habitat. Otherwise, it's just being destroyed by this almost supernatural storm that just won't leave the island. And he saved mm-hmm. her, and he's the one kind of taking care of her with uh, Eileen uh, Andrews, who's played by Rebecca Hall. But their relationship I, between Gia and Kong, I thought, was the best part of the film when it came to just kind of like emotional pull. It because mm-hmm. I think it did it actually really resonated, you know, because there are these two characters who are misunderstood by most other people, right? And yet mm-hmm. they find solace in one another because they can understand each other. And they're fearful of the outside world because so much of the outside world doesn't understand them. And yet they find the con- again, they find the connection together. So I really appreciated um, how that character and the way, I mean, Kaylee Hotel was fantastic in the role. You know, she doesn't get to speak, but she emotes very well, especially for a child actress. So uh, the whole mm-hmm. thing between them really worked and, and to me was the highlight of the film uh, just emotionally. Yeah, I think if you didn't have that, it wouldn't be as good of a film and as strong as it is for that emotional connection, because you also get to see more of that um, emotional side of Kong Mm -hmm. through her. And that, you know, even when, um, you know, the, the doctors are telling Gia to tell Kong, it's okay, tell him he can go down the tunnel to the hollow earth. She's like, but he knows that's not true. Like, he would know if I'm lying to him. So right. I like that they even are kind of calling out that they are technically lying to him. Um, but that they're trying to convince the little girl to go along with the plan. 
Um, so yeah, I, I think that that was without a doubt the heart of this movie, um, and kind of replaced that as the main focal mm-hmm. point human relationship. Whereas in the previous movie, you know, it was Millie Bobby Brown and her dad. Right. Well, and I think, you know, it was interesting because what we kind of see here uh, in the film is it is these kind of outsider characters and or younger characters, again, that are not totally bought into the narrative of the world, right? The corporate BS and the bureaucracy, the, the ones that really kind of are seeing through this. So, you know, you have Madison Russell and you have Bernie Hayes, uh, as well as Gia with Kong, who are kind of like seeing through the haze that that's being put out there. And then you have characters like, you know, Dr. Nathan Lind and Irene Andrews, who are kind of falling for the, the you know, uh, the um, the the narrative yeah the narrative the bunk they're being sold <laughs> right and and part of that is like you know with lind he finally finds somebody who says they believe in him where in a world that nobody's believed in him they call him a fraud and in the end it's you know you have dr andrews who is looking to try and take care of kong and she is stuck between a rock and a hard place because this island is not going to support him anymore. And so the thought of finding a new home for, for Kong where he could actually live and be um, taken care of in a way that he couldn't never be here because humanity doesn't really have a way to take care of him and protect him from Godzilla because of them being the two alphas, uh, you know, it makes sense. But it's interesting mm-hmm. that they can't they can't think beyond just what's right in front of them, you know, whereas you have these other characters who are like, yes, I see what you're saying, but behind that, I kind of see a bunch of malarkey. Right, yeah. Well, and I mean, they kind of introduced that from the get-go with Madison because she's the one listening to Bernie's podcast and, you know, skipping school to go talk to her dad about Godzilla. And, you know, she just... She does what she has to do because, you know, she's a kid and has to go to school. But she's also a person who just sees through all of the you should do X because I tell you yeah, to. Because. Um, yeah, exactly. She's one of the people that asks why. Well, and I think what's interesting is she's also asking the question why in reference to the behavior she's seeing because it doesn't mm-hmm. meet the facts. So, I mean, it doesn't, this is the thing, like, what I also see this movie saying, especially through all of these characters, is that people are willing to believe what's most easy more than they mm-hmm. are willing to believe what actually fits the facts or what feels good to them. Like, her dad cannot see what's happening with Godzilla because he won't put aside his own feelings about the matter and what's actually happening with the data, which is, you know, she even says, like, Godzilla hasn't attacked anyone. This is out of his character. This is out of the norm of the facts that we actually have. So let's mm-hmm. put aside emotion and go with actual reason. And I think that the movie seems to actually have a, a very clear message about that idea of just because you feel a certain way doesn't mean that that makes something true. It has to comport mm-hmm. with reality and actual facts. 
And when we learn all the facts right. here, we see that Godzilla is doing what's not only best for him, but also really in the end what's best for humanity because Mecha Godzilla isn't going to be good for Godzilla, but it's also not going to be good for the world either in the long run. Right, exactly. Well, and, and I mean, it It just, yeah, it, it shows that you can't just rely on what you tell yourself the situation has to be and what feels most comfortable. That doesn't make it true. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely agree. So, obviously, this movie is a lot about these monster battles. And we get a lot of great monster mashing going on. And so, mm-hmm. I'm wondering for you, how, how did it live up to, you know, I mean, we got Kong versus Godzilla. Does does it live up to what you kind of hoped you'd see on screen? It was so good. It was so good, especially in the theater for something like that. I think that when you have a larger than life character and you have multiples that are fighting each other, that you have to see it on a big screen, whether it's a drive-in or in in a theater or whatever. Um, And also having that surround sound experience really puts you in the middle of it. Um, For me, I think that the best fight was actually the one in Hong Kong. I didn't really love the fight in the water as much. Um, But it makes sense because Godzilla would probably be, you know, able to hold his breath longer under the water or even breathe under the water. I don't know. Whereas Kong wouldn't. Um, But it just, you know, that's harder to follow back and forth and get effects done well, although it was pretty good. Um, But yeah, what about you? I I mean, you know, this is the type of movie where this the, what's going on on screen starts happening, where two monsters are battling each other like this, and and I think, you know, it just puts a big dumb grin on your face, which is great, you know. It, mm-hmm. I think, I liked all of the battles that we saw. I I mean, I thought the one on the water was obviously ridiculous. Because there's no way those ships would have been able to withstand that whatsoever. I mean, they just would have been ripped to shreds. Um, right. I mean, there's just no way you can keep flipping a tanker that size, basically, and uh, <laughs> have it be okay. Um, there's also no way that an aircraft carrier is going to be able to support the weight of a gorilla that big. Uh, and or Godzilla on top of it either. I mean, they just literally, there's not enough buoyancy. It's not mm-hmm. not possible. But who cares, right? Like, literally, who cares? Um, this is just way too much fun. And like you said, you know, once we get to uh, Hong Kong and they're battling one another, I I think this is really good. Um yeah. It looks good. It feels good. And I, I think uh, the director here has a real point of view with how he's um, created this film um, with the look and the feel of it. He really does like his neon and it shows through here. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a there's a real flash and panache, I think, with the way that the uh, action is filmed just in general, the way the camera moves and everything, the way the camera is following the characters. Um, especially when we, I was surprised, you know, when you have monsters this big battling, I felt like for the most part, did a really good job of 
making the action, like you kind of knew where you were in relation to the city itself for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that that's really important, again, to give you the, the visual headspace that you're in there as, as all this is happening. So, I, I mean, I don't know what else you could want from Godzilla versus Kong than to see them really battle it out. And I really loved, you know, the fact that you know, you got one round, there's a winner. The next round, there's a winner. There's another round, there's a winner. So, you know, Godzilla right. is the winner in the end. Um, but then it takes both of them to beat Mecha Godzilla, And it also kind of creates um, this begrudging respect between these two, right? Like, they don't really mm-hmm. like that they should, they, they're, you know, but, eh, okay, fine. You know, and I I like that. And I think it makes, you know, if they ever want to continue these films, um, it will be interesting to see what they do next. Uh, if they have anything in mind, um, because there's no end credit sequence here. And, and honestly, I, I feel like almost that this sets up, uh, this is a nice end. You know, I think, I think this mm-hmm. is a good end. You, um, you could probably do more, but, if they never do, I like it. I really do. Um, I, I, when it came to like these characters battling one another, I, I feel like mm-hmm. we we got we got the right thing, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I was curious if the because I I thought it was incredible to see, but the atomic breath. For Godzilla, how that worked for you and him charging up and the sound effect that goes with it every time of that. I love it. I love that. Yeah, me too. No, I, 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 I think it's fantastic. So, um, how did, um, we got, um, Tom Holkenborg, uh, who, you know, obviously has worked on, uh, you know, the DC films with Hans Zimmer. Of course, he just did, uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Uh, and uh, he's done like Tomb Raider, and here he does the score for this mil- movie. I wanted to know how that that worked for you as well. I really enjoyed it, which is uh, interesting for me because I know I've said before on this show that typically I don't get super into the music of a movie. I just I don't know why it's always kind of been more of a background thing for me. But with this one, it absolutely added to it so much. And even just, like I said, down to the sound effect choices for different moments. Um, And then pairing that with the direction, I felt like here the score and the direction fit so well together. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like a a whole experience just from the audio. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I think, you know, we tend to think of score and, and sound as just music. And I, I definitely think that Hulkenborg's score here was really good, especially he has that great theme for Godzilla every time he comes on, and it feels a little bit like Jaws almost, which is really perfect. Um, but I like his the Kong thing that he has too, because there's a real like melancholy beauty to the little soft theme he has for Kong, especially when he's with Gia, which I like mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and it also just kind of shows the kind of difference in their characters. You know, Kong has a soft side. Godzilla doesn't, you know. Exactly. <laughs> um, which I think is great, you know. Um, so I really appreciated that. I And I listened to the score 
you know, a few times and I've really been enjoying it. So, um, you know, I think he's gotten to be a, a better and better composer with each film. Um, there's a, there's a scene too in the movie, which really sounds similar also to some, uh, Blade Runner 2049 work that Zimmer did as well, which I really, really like. I love the score for that movie. So, yeah, I think this is great stuff. Um, and like you said, just adds to the movie in the best possible way, which is great. So, um, yeah, I mean, all in all, then I guess we really do come down to what you would end up rating Godzilla versus Kong. So, um, I did want to add one thing that we didn't touch on as oh, much, but, um, yeah, I, with the human villains, I just felt that there could have been more backstory mm-hmm. uh, and more threat felt from them. I, I mean, I think, you know, obviously we get Mechagodzilla and you see that Apex, uh, the goals of the company are bad and the CEO that started all of this is a bad person for wanting to rule over everything. Um, but you never understand why how he and his daughter got to that point, you know, and what was fueling that desire. So, and then they, they killed them off pretty quickly. Yep. yep. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one thing that I that's wish that would have been point. done differently. I No, I'm really glad that you brought that up. Obviously this film kind of does suffer from the human element being not as important. And in some ways, you know, when you have a movie Godzilla versus Kong, you're really going to see those too. But I do think yeah. the other films, for the most part, especially Godzilla and then Kong Skull Island, had much better versions of, um, like, human and emotion. You know, Godzilla, King of Monsters, which is not as great. I think that's one of the things we kind of dinged it for, the human characters not being really as important in that film. Here, mm-hmm. they're not, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's funny you say that, because I, I, I go back to, again, you know, the difference between, uh, and John and I were talking about this when we were doing our Snyder cuts on uh, Joss Whedon's version of Justice League and how there's absolutely no motivation for Steppenwolf that we ever know about. So he's literally mm-hmm. a character that we could care less about. Whereas with Zack Snyder's Justice League, you have a villain who his motivations may be awful, but at least they make sense to you. You know why this character right. is doing what it's doing. And so the fact that you never get that here is a little disappointing. Um, and mm-hmm. I, so I'm glad you brought that up. I, I heartily agree with that. Uh, I think that's definitely a huge criticism in the film. Okay. So it's not just me. No, I, <laughs> you're right on. Okay. Uh, so yeah, ultimately then with ratings though, I would still rate it really highly. I would do a, a four out of five, um, atomic breaths because it's still something that I had such a great time seeing. Um, that was my one real criticism with it. Um, and I think that they did great casting choices and uh, really did the action justice with giving, you know, really great quality. And also, you know, like you were saying, with choosing the shots that you're going to show of the fights really matters in making it feel more more real. Yes. Um, and having good music. So, yeah, I, I would see it a million more times. And I'm sure I'm going to since it's streaming on HBMS. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, it's kind of a movie, you know, in some ways I want to go back to the theater for just because, you mm-hmm. know, to have that experience again. But no, I'm right there with you for the most part. I think, you know, I can't do quarter stars on Letterboxd, but I think I would give this 3.75 out of 5 battle axes because mm-hmm. I, I think that this is a ton of fun. I think it's a big improvement, honestly, over... Uh, the uh, Godzilla King of Monsters. And part of that is that there was just enough emotion, but the spectacle that we got here was way better, I thought, than even what we got there, Uh, even though we had, you know, Godzilla versus Ghidorah. And I think I really enjoyed the thematic elements we talked through. We got super deep on this that I did not expect. So, you know, and, and... and as deep as we were going. So, no, I, I really enjoyed this. And, man, if you can, go to the movies. It's, look, it's safe, people. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, they're doing a great job of, of keeping people safe. Uh, you know, you, you're not sitting next to people if you're scared about that. It's, it's, it, it's a great time. Um, and, uh, mm-hmm. if you want to keep seeing the movies in the theater at all, you gotta go to the movies. So, this is the perfect one, uh, to go back on. It's big, it's fun. Um, sometimes a little dumb, but all in all, that's kind of what you'd expect. And I, I love that this movie is pretty much what you'd expect. And so, uh, Christy, I am interested then, uh, since it's that time, what you're going to recommend to everybody with your recommendation. Well, I've gotten into even more documentaries this time. Nice. I know I mentioned one last time. Yeah, it it's so funny. I, that never used to be hugely my thing. But since we've been streaming everything um, until this point, I uh, found another one uh, on Hulu, actually, called We Work or the Making and Breaking of a $47 Billion Unicorn. Whoa. So, yeah. Uh, so actually came across this because I recognized the name WeWork, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it, Matt, but it's basically these communal working spaces where people from any walk of life could bring in your laptop and your phone and plug in and work for the day anywhere in the world that had a WeWork station. Um, and, and it would be, you know, glass walls so that people were, you know, more, forced to communicate and to work in the same space together, even if they're all doing different jobs or even are all different entrepreneurs of their own companies. So it's like this great idea, but the documentary focus on focuses on how it started as a great idea and then divulged more into a cult-like atmosphere because the founder was actually raised in a commune and then also had this, idealism of um, how the world should be and started to push those ideas on people and then mismanagement of money. And, uh, you know, it sort of all came together for the perfect storm of then causing them to go under. Wow. But not before they had reached $47 billion value. Wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's fascinating too, and you should check it out on Hulu. It's yeah. called We We Work. Awesome. You know, uh, I've got. Um, I'm going to give two very different recommendations. One, I finally got to see on the plane uh, on the way home from Orlando, uh, Just Mercy, 
which was a really fantastic film. Really enjoyed it um, about a man who had been wrongly accused of murder and put on death row uh, in the 80s and then was freed um, after uh, the very hard work of a just-graduated Harvard-educated lawyer. Uh, and it's a real story, Barry Stevenson, um, and um, the acquittal, finally, of, of Walter McMillan. So really liked it. It was very, very good. Um, so that is a very serious film, but it was very good. Liked it a lot. Mm. The other one is the complete opposite of that, which is Can't Hardly Wait, which is a goofy teen comedy movie back from when I was a kid. Um, and when I say kid, um, basically this is the year I graduated high school. Uh, this is, and it encapsulates that time period. Uh, it's got such wonderful people as uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Ethan Embry in it with Seth Green and so many others. And it is a fantastic time capsule of that era, and it is hysterical. So either one of those, if you want to cry, just mercy. If you want to laugh, can't hardly wait. So, Christy, <laughs> uh, if anybody wants to catch up with you and see what else you've got going on, where can they find you? Well, of course, aforementioned at the beginning of this show, if you'd like to hear my recent foray into other voice work, I did uh, some bumper ads and a funny little um, bit on my friend Kev's show, Geek Stuff T&G, formerly known as Big Kev's Geek Stuff. And uh, so you can check that out. I'm on their newest episode number 629, which is their 15th anniversary. Wow. 15 years. Yeah. Um, and then my usual stuff I do when I'm not here on 602 with Matt, I do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda DeFonzo and Teresa Delgado. And uh, we are actually about to start covering um, in two parts Falcon and Winter Soldier and talking about speculation. So nice. hope you'll check us out. Very cool. Uh, of course, you can find me all over the place uh, on social media, Matt Rushing Zeros 2. That's what you want to search for. Of course, here on the network, I'm also doing Snyder Cuts with John Mills uh, as we're talking about all the things Zack Snyder has directed. Uh, of course, we got through his Justice League, and but we've got a few more episodes coming out, especially as we're looking forward to now his Army of the Dead that'll be coming out. So that's really exciting. Um, also, of course, doing Literary Treks as well as The Orb. Literary Treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You can find me on the Nerd Party Network. I'm wrapping up Owl Post with Drea Kaufman. We legitimately only have three episodes left now as we finish the Harry Potter mm-hmm. series, one chapter at a time. That's how we've been doing it. And then, of course, aggressive negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs>